Hello, everybody. My name's David Lloyd. What, the David Lloyd? As far as I'm concerned, yes, I am the David Lloyd. And with me is A. Chris Budd, who is, has written a very interesting book, actually, called The Financial Wellbeing Book. We'll be talking more about that book later on. And we're also going to be talking about how Chris came to be inspired to write it. Also in the room with us today, we have Julie, our rather marvellous editor, who's recording everything, and also Ian, our equally marvellous producer, who at some point will step in and say, you two guys don't know what you're talking about, let's do that bit again. But for the moment, Chris, I think it's going rather well. With a marvellous use of editing, he's actually done that three times already. (laughs) Right, Chris, there's a fundamental question here which everyone would like an answer to. What's the purpose of these podcasts? One of the things that we want to achieve with these podcasts is to get a dialogue with people. We want to hear from listeners. We want to hear stories about what they have done to increase financial well-being, get some feedback on stuff that we've said. We want to be bringing in some ideas and concepts, and we want to be having a bit of fun, I hope, along the way. What you might call edutainment, which is a word that I think I've just made up, but probably has been invented by an American before me, I suspect. Excellent. Well, you do the edu, I'll do the taining, everyone will be happy. Chris, would you like to uh, tell us a bit about yourself? My name is Chris Budd and I have written a book called The Financial Wellbeing Book and the focus of that book and of these podcasts is going to be about how to create a financial plan that can make you happier, not just wealthier. I think there's a lot of talk about being rich and how to get rich and books on get property millionaires and all this kind of stuff and it seemed to me to miss the point of life which is about trying to get a bit happier really. So you don't believe then that the money is the root of all evil? You think money can actually be a route to happiness? Absolutely. It's not the case that um, often people will say money doesn't make you happy. Of course it does. If somebody gets a bonus from work, then they can go on a holiday. That gives them a bit of extra happiness. Sure. But the focus shouldn't be the relentless accumulation of wealth. The focus of that money should be about how to use that money to make you happier. And What we want to talk about in these podcasts, therefore, is going to be how to use money to increase your well-being, to increase your happiness. Excellent. Sounds good to me. I'm well up for that. I'm always up for being better off and I'm always up for being a bit happier. But one question I want to ask you, which is, you've talked very passionately about your attitude to financial well-being. What set you off on this particular journey? As well as my own experience and how I started to work out what I wanted out of life, it really came to a head when I was sitting with Susie, my wife, in the car on the journey. She works as a cancer nurse and has done for many, many years. And she takes one day a week working at the Penny Braun Cancer Centre, which is a marvellous place just outside of Bristol, which focuses on a whole person approach to cancer. And Susie was telling me about their work, about how standard chemotherapy medicine attacks the cancerous cells, but that how we have immune cells in our body which also attack those cancerous cells. What the Pennyborn Cancer Centre does is help to make those immune cells stronger so that we can help our body to help itself. When she was telling me about this, the logical question it seemed to me was, what can I do to help those immune cells get stronger? And the answer is what the Petty Braun Cancer Centre does. It's about the whole person approach, so mind and body and spirit and emotion. Getting all of those areas of ourselves strong will help us to make our immune cells stronger. My next question to Susie, therefore, was where does money come into this? Because money is one of the biggest causes of stress. And therefore, I said to my wife, perhaps I should write a book about how financial planning can help prevent cancer. 
Now, I think we all agreed that that was perhaps a step too far. But the principle of the idea that a good financial plan can help reduce stress and thereby help the immune cells, that stuck. And that brought about the thought process that became the Financial Wellbeing book. Excellent. So really, it's Penny Braun's holistic approach to cancer care, which has inspired you to adopt a similar holistic approach to financial well-being. It was, although actually I realised that I'd been doing financial planning with our clients for 15 years in this way. I just hadn't had a name for it before. And if people were to go out and uh, buy the book, I understand there's a further connection between the book and Penny Braun. Yes, the Penny Braun Cancer Centre will be getting all the proceeds from the book. Well, that's great news, isn't it? So how do people actually then get hold of it? It's being published in May, so keep listening to this podcast. Excellent. Or follow the at Finwellbeing. Finwellbeing. Oh, financial well-being. You're good. I get it now. <laughs> so let's move on to the, the first question, really, which I've got for you. Um, financial well-being, what, what are we talking about? What is it? OK, well, there's, there's five parts to well-being in general. Uh, this comes from surveys done by Gallup um, over many, many years. There are five parts of well-being are career well-being, social, financial, physical and community. And we're going to obviously look at financial well-being in these podcasts, but it is important, and we must refer back to this, um, that the other areas of well-being all interact with each other. So, for example, someone who focuses on their career may be at the detriment of their social, their family. So it's likewise, if you just focus on financial well-being and try and get rich, then that could be detrimental to other areas. We need to just be aware that what we're talking about when we look at financial well-being does impact on others. And we might just touch on those over the course of these podcasts. Excellent, because we've all that problem. I know I have. Uh, as a, I'm a freelance uh, writer, a broadcaster. I also work part-time at Bristol City Football Club. So That took four minutes for you to get that in. <laughs> I lead a very, very busy life. Well, at least I don't work for Bristol Rovers Football Club, which, of course, would be a complete and utter waste of my time. Um, uh, You've just lost 50 listeners there. <laughs> 50, what, the entire Bristol Rovers fan base in one comment. I'll set them up, you knock them down. <laughs> so, but as a freelancer for a long period of time, I mean, I know what it's like to have to juggle family, money, trying to find free time for yourself. We all want to be happy, but sometimes, surely... The desire, in my case, to produce a script deadline in time or get stuff, that work has to take precedence. So what's your response to that? That's all about the balance. The fundamental underlying principle of all that we're doing here is the principle of know thyself. Know thyself means what you want out of life. What makes you happy? What gives you well-being? And that is at the absolute heart of what we're talking about in financial well-being, to really understand and to think about what you want out of life and then create the financial plan to help you get it both now and in the future. Okay, and what if the thing that I think is the thing I want out of life is just to work, that's all I want to do? What if doing my work makes me happy? Then great. Retirement, for example, is a much misused word. The idea of retirement can be getting a gold watch, being put out to pasture. And for many people, the idea of retirement is a terrible thing. Retirement can be something that some people will look forward to. Other people will dread. That's a very good example of know thyself and planning for what you want. Yeah, because in my case, I am, well, I'm 60. I don't mind sharing that with the nation. But so I You sound so much younger. I know, I know. And I behave in every way a younger person than 60. But actually, my birth certificate tells me that that's how old I am. So uh, I'm obviously beginning to think now about a time when um, I could retire. Part of me is thinking, oh, I'm not so sure about retirement. Um, but there's also another side of me that thinks, 
wouldn't it be great not to have to be chasing my tail all the time, running around pursuing the next bit of work? So for me, my objective would be to carry on working, but working under my own terms and not somebody else's terms. That's what would make me happy. So you need to work out the finances to be able to allow you to have the life that you want, exactly as you just described it. And for you, uh, you can take into account your part-time income that you might get. But the point is, you won't be working because you have to, you'll be working because you want to. Good point. Okay. Let's go back, if we may. You talked about the five areas of uh, well-being. The first of those points was the path to financial well-being. What do you mean by that? So the first of those is a clear path to achieving identifiable objectives. And this comes in two sections. Let's take the second one first. The identifiable objectives, really that's the know thyself principle I was talking about. In order to get an objective of what you want in the future, you have to understand yourself. And a lot of this might come from talking to others, talking to our partners, perhaps getting help in the form of coaching, but working out what we want out of life and then creating a clear path to how to get there. Understanding what we need to do with our money in order to get what we achieve. And once we start thinking about our objectives, then we put the path in place and we realise we may be able to achieve more than we realised or the other way around. Maybe we can't achieve as much as we hoped for. And this leads to realisation about ourselves, about what we want from life. And you go around that cycle a few times and you end up getting that clear path to identifiable objectives. So what comes first then? Is it the goal? Is it the objective or is it the path? Do you set the goal and then work out how you're going to get there or do you set off on a path and see where it takes you? It's the goal, although I have to say I don't actually like the word goal. They have an end point. And life, other than the obvious one, doesn't have an end point. We don't have financial goals that we have now achieved something. What we have in life is things that we want to strive for. So I prefer to think of them as motivations or possibly objectives, which is the word that we choose in the book. Uh, motivations is a good one as well, to work out what we want our life to look like. So understanding what you want from life uh, is really the first long section of the process of financial well-being there's lots of practical things that we can do but the more i'm looking into this whole area of what makes us happy with money we come into the whole area of well-being in itself so it's quite a big issue isn't it you talked a little bit in your introduction about that about about knowing yourself you know a lot of us we think we know ourselves but we're not always very good at listening to what other people might have to say about us particularly our partners our children you know we're not always very happy when Are they you talking about up. me here David? i'm talking about you i'm talking <laughs> about me i'm talking about all of us you know we think we know who we are but we're not always very good at listening to what other people have to say so are you saying that it's important that we are receptive to other people's opinions in order to build up this broader view let me answer that by telling my own story for a few minutes if i may about five or six years ago, I was having what the doctor called a muzzy head. I couldn't think straight. I wasn't concentrating very well. I felt tired a lot. Went to see my GP, did some tests, and they told me that there was nothing wrong with me. Well, of course there was, because I still had this muzzy head. I looked it up a bit myself on the internet and kind of concluded that it was possibly stress, possibly depression. By coincidence, a friend of mine was training to be a business coach and she asked if I would be a guinea pig for her. I was a bit cynical, not being a big fan of that sort of thing, talking about yourself to other people, you know. And uh, But I, it was free, so I agreed to do it. And those three sessions with Claire changed my life, genuinely changed my life, because at the end of those three sessions, we worked out what it was that was causing the muzzy head, which was, in my case writing novels, something I'd done as a younger man, but I got out of the habit of. 
And we worked out how I could achieve it, which was to take a day a week off. And we had, we gave me a clear path to my particular objective. And six months later, my muzzy head had gone. Three years later, I published my first novel and I'm hopefully soon to be publishing in a second. So for me, it was about taking time out to talk to somebody and having a real intent to work out where I wanted my life to go. That's really good because I think we can all, all get set on a path, on a particular path. So listening to other people, people you trust, is often quite an important way of you helping for you to discover your objective and your path to it. I would agree, but actually it's not just listening to what other people say, but it's also listening to yourself. But we get into areas such as permission, guilt. Uh, in my case, I felt very guilty about the idea of taking a day a week off. I hadn't given myself that permission. In fact, I sat down with Vicky, who's worked with us for 15 years, and I said, look, Vicky, I'm thinking of taking a day a week off. How do you think everyone in the office will feel about it? Because I'm worried that it's not going to go down very well. And she looked at me and said, Chris, everybody else does part time. And I realised that everybody in the office at that time had flexibility at their hours except for me. Mm. And so suddenly I felt I had that permission. So taking time and allowing yourself to think about what you want from life is a really important first step to financial well-being. Brilliant. OK, let's move on to the second point then of financial well-being, which is? Which is control of daily finances. This can be understanding what you're spending your money on, something I think we all avoid. <laughs> something that we can do quite easily by analysing our bank statements, but it's a bit dull, isn't it? There are now quite a few apps that are out there to help you. These are fairly new on the market, but they look to be quite interesting. It's an interesting development. One of them is called Entrees. Entrees. So could, is that like entrees in a restaurant, or how do you spell that? O-N-T-R-E-E-S. The other one is called Money Dashboard. Uh, others are and will be available, of course. What these can do is analyse your spending and summarise them back to you in categories so that you can find just how much money you're spending and on where, which could be a bit scary for my wife, for example, um, and therefore for me soon after. The objective in getting control of daily finances is about understanding your subsistence income and therefore your disposable income. How much money you need to live on and how much money you have left for enjoyment. Now, need to live on can include things like, obviously, the basics in life, food, shelter etc but it should include holidays too it's a happy life we want but maybe not the 140 pound tablecloth that my wife bought on holiday recently <laughs> the thought. what's left after that is then disposable income which can be used for luxuries and for wealth creation so getting control over understanding what your subsistence and disposable income is a big part of financial well-being as well Excellent. I sat down uh, with um, Ian over there, actually, uh, who's giving me a wave. Uh, he produced a spreadsheet for me. This is a year or so ago, um, in which he asked me to write down everything that I spend, absolutely everything. And it was a really interesting exercise. My instinctive reaction to it was, I don't want to mess around with that. I don't want to do that. Why should I spend my time doing that? But actually, when I did, it was absolutely fascinating. And of course, you unearth the gym membership that you've not used for a year, you know, the, the amount of money that you're spending on a gardener. So I made a very good connection there. I thought, do you know what? I'm spending £2,000 on a year to employ somebody to do the garden, and I'm spending £1,500 a year to go to a gym that I never go to. So what I'll do is I'll get rid of the gardener, and I'll do the gardening instead of going to the gym. So I managed to save myself all of that money 
and get the exercise that I needed as well. So that was, for me, a great example of sitting down and looking at what I was spending my money on and saying, is that the best way of doing it? And what you've also done there is if you go back to the first step, which is getting a clear path to identifiable objectives, you can now see that whatever it is that you want to achieve in the future, the stakes are much higher now. And therefore, when you work out your daily finances, you're more likely to make those cuts because you can now see where you're going. So we can see that these things start to work together. And it realised that it's possible to make those cuts. So actually, uh, there, were, there were some things that I was spending money on and they were vanity things. Going through that process with somebody or even on your own with a glass of wine is really quite dull and it's quite scary what you can come out with. That's because it's such an important issue. And that's therefore proves how important it is to people's financial well-being to gain that control. Great. OK, so that's two down. What's the third? The ability to cope with a financial shock. An interesting survey by Barclays a few years ago on well-being in the workplace showed that people get greater increases in well-being by having an emergency fund than they do from having a pay rise. There's a whole other area that this can go into on workplace well-being, which will be, I'm sure, the subject of a future podcast. But it just goes to show that worrying about what will I do if, I don't know, the car breaks down or, in the worst case, get an illness or even die, knowing that that is covered is a big plank to financial well-being. Yeah, and again, I can give you personal experience of that. You've always uh, advised me that having a good you know, emergency fund is a very worthwhile thing. So I, I built one up. It was basically what I do is whenever I get... Uh, tax I get my VAT or I know I've got tax coming in I get income I put the percentage of the amount that I'm going to have to pay in tax with a bit on top so I always know I've got at least enough to pay my tax and hopefully a little bit left over as well I can swear that three years ago you came for an emergency amount of money from your investments to pay a tax bill exactly I did do that and as a result of that that's why I've set up this emergency (laughs) fund so I just got a tax bill in which was a a little bit bigger than I was expecting, only a few hundred quid, but it was more than I was expecting. But fortunately, I had the money in there to cover it and also to cover the fact I unexpectedly had to replace part of the floor in my hall as well. In actual fact, the ability to cope with a financial shock, I think the word ability is the crucial one there because it's not having the money there, it's knowing you've got the money there. It's the state of mind. That's what well-being is. It's happiness. One of the few things over my working life that has woken me up in the middle of the night is worrying about money. How am I going to pay the mortgage at the end of this month? How am I going to pay that bill? The washing machine's broken down. I haven't got the money for it. And those are the things that have always worried me. Now, I have to say that I don't worry about money quite so much because I look after it better than I used to. So it doesn't take a huge amount to be able to have the ability to cope with the financial shock. For somebody who's got young children, a young family, that's going to be life assurance, for example. Anybody who's got young children, personally, I think life assurance should be virtually compulsory if there's no other assets. There are other types of financial shocks that we need to cover, clearly, and we'll look at those in future podcasts. But just knowing that you've got the bases covered, the worst things that could go wrong, I can cope financially, means that you're able to focus on the other issues that those shocks will bring. Excellent. Thanks for that, Chris. So, number four. Financial options in life. Clearly, as we get wealthier, we have more financial options. For me, in my recent years, flexibility of my time has been what I wanted. That gave me options, gave me the options to write my book. So, we will look in future podcasts about other ways to create financial options. Some of them can be challenging some of the standard assumptions about money. Some of them can come from the clear path to identifiable objectives because that will then help you understand what you want from life and that will give you more options. 
there's a chapter in the book that I use, which is a phrase which rather tickled me, called it the abandonment of hope. Slightly dramatic phrase, but it really means acceptance. So sometimes it's better to just accept what we have in life and what our money can give us. And that will actually bring more options. So there's a lot that we can do to create more financial options other than simply accumulating wealth. And the final one. The fifth point of financial well-being is clarity and security for those that we leave behind. This is different for people in different walks of life. For those with a young family, for example, then they should have a will in place. Um, I would consider a will that is compulsory, rather like carrying a donor card for anybody with a, a young family, so that if the parents somehow something happens to them, then the children, everybody knows what's going to be looked after them and the courts won't have to decide. For somebody with a life-threatening illness, it could be a different issue. It could be writing down a list of assets, for example, uh, just making sure your partner knows how to operate the washing machine. Well, as you know, I've experienced that myself. You know, my late wife who died a couple of years ago, she had MS, and so we knew that she was getting towards the end of her life, and therefore a lot of our financial planning was planning around making sure that her assets, if you like, were going to be properly looked after, making sure that our son was going to be properly looked after. So we had to do a huge amount of financial planning around quite a sensitive area as well, because actually what you're talking about is preparing for the death of somebody. But certainly since then, I've reaped huge benefit from it, not financially so much, but actually emotionally, because we did all of that difficult sorting out in advance. And Dinah will have got well-being from knowing that people that she was leaving behind weren't left with a mess. Exactly. Another area for clarity and security for those we leave behind is inheritance tax. For some people, inheritance tax is a big issue. Others, they're not so concerned. Knowing what your requirements are is important. Heritage planning is another interesting area, providing clarity particularly, because matriarch and patriarch of a family very often want to put stipulations on how the money is looked after. The next generations might not necessarily agree with that and therefore families can get together, work out how they want the assets to be dealt with uh, and put in place something perhaps called a family constitution. This is particularly important where you've got a family business because how that business is dealt with, which child wants to get involved, which doesn't for example, can cause great arguments after we've gone and therefore getting that sorted out in a heritage plan is a big part of financial well-being. So those are the five key points of financial well-being. We've talked about the book that you've written. We've talked about the expensive tablecloth that your wife bought on holiday. I think we've covered a lot of ground today. As I've said before, we will be picking up on this in future podcasts. But for now, from Chris Budd and myself, David Lloyd, and from Julian Ian, thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you next time. Thank you. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.finwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at finwellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at David underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. Money, it's a gas.